Good morning. We'll be reading from 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God, who is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him sin, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Good morning, and please be seated. Thank you for that reading. This might come as no surprise to you, but I'm not very athletic, okay? I love to play sports. I love to be in the game. I love the adrenaline pumping. I love all of that. But anytime I played, it was always sort of on my level, if you know what I mean, okay? So because you look at me, and, and it's evident to you that I was never the fastest kid or the tallest kid or the strongest kid. And what, you know, games like cricket which is basically Indian baseball, for those of you that have never seen cricket. Okay, a quick show of hands. Who knows what cricket is? Wow, I'm doing a good job. Great. Just joking, okay? But that's what, I, that's, that's what I played growing up. Cricket, soccer, volleyball. And one thing all of these games have in common is what's called a sideline, okay? And I really got used to sitting on the sideline. You know, Passover was not too long ago. I would get passed over time and again. They'd never pick me until like the last five minutes and everyone's exhausted, right? And they're like, fine, come on. I love to be in the game and I hate sitting on the sidelines. But, but another way you can get sidelined, taken out of the game, is when you get disqualified. And if you've played soccer, you get this, right? You understand what this means, okay? It's the dreaded red card. If you get a red card, it means that you've been a bad boy, Okay? You've done something so egregious that the ref goes, we can't have you here, okay? We just have to take you off the field. And so they take you off the field. You can get disqualified. That's another way to get out of the game. Now, those of you that have watched cricket or maybe even played it, okay, one of the ways to get disqualified in cricket, okay, in soccer, you just have to be a crybaby and they'll disqualify you, okay? You know, gone are the days when they'll tolerate you, you know, diving and, you know, rolling around, throwing a tantrum like a toddler. Those days are gone, believe it or not. You do that today, you get taken off the field. Pretty cool. But in cricket, it's a little different. So it's very similar to baseball. The cricket ball is actually made of cork, and it's covered in leather and stitched. And so what bowlers will do, that's what they're called, bowlers, right, They'll, they'll use their nails and dig into the, uh, into the ball and make grooves so that when they throw the ball, it would travel in a different way through the air, and it makes it unexpected and unpredictable for the batsman, okay? 
That's, you can't do that. That's cheating. You get disqualified. You get taken out of the game. So there are a number of ways, whether you get passed over and you have to sit on the sidelines or you get disqualified and you have to sit on the sidelines. It's no fun sitting out of the game, is it? Because when you're not in the game, you're not contributing anything. You've been taken out. Whatever you had to give now has to wait on the sidelines. And so, man, I loved playing sports. I hated sitting on the sidelines. I wanted, I wanted in every minute. But either I'd be passed over, and in rare cases, I'd be taken out of the game. You see where this is going, right? Because this kind of stuff doesn't just happen on a field or on a court somewhere, does it? It happens right here, doesn't it? It happens right here when we get taken out of the game. We want to be in the game. We want to fulfill God's purpose for our lives. He says, hey, I want you to be like my son, and, and we want that too. We want in the game, and, and we strive to become more and more like Jesus. And more than that, we now want to imitate his love for others and live lives of, of, of sacrificial love and selfless service to others. We want that. We want to be in the game, but for one reason or another, at times we find ourselves taken out of the game. And, and what I want to do this morning is examine exactly how that happens. Because here's a little secret, it doesn't happen by accident. So, so this morning we'll, we'll look at how that happens, okay? why it happens, and what the resurrection has to say about all of that. Because that's what this morning is about, right? And really, if you're here on Sundays, you know that that's what every Sunday morning is for us, is Resurrection Sunday. The resurrection has something very powerful and important to tell us about staying in the game. And if you've been taken out, about how you can get back in the game. The first, the first thing that I want you to consider is this, that this being taken out of the spiritual game, out of, out of fulfilling God's purpose for our lives, doesn't happen by accident. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, we find these words. Peter writes, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Our enemy, the enemy of your soul, of my soul, is actively looking to take you out of the game. That he's laser focused on that. He does not want you fulfilling God's purpose for your life. He does not want you becoming like Jesus. And this morning, what I want to share with you are two tactics that he has used in, against me. And, and you might hear these and you might think to yourself, well, they're not really, I don't really see that in my life. Maybe that's true. But I want to share with you two tactics that I have seen repeatedly the enemy use against me. Tactics to take me out of the game. Tactics to keep me on the sidelines. Tactics to keep me from fulfilling my God-given purpose. The God-given purpose for my life. The first is this. You know, when we contemplate our lives, when you look at your life and, and you consider your present struggles or your past failures, you can begin to get the sense that, that, that we're unworthy of God's love. We're unworthy of God's kindness. Uh, the Apostle Peter evidently felt that way. 
there was this one occasion, you may remember this story, but where Peter has been on the water all night, and he's been fishing, working very hard to catch fish, to feed his family, take care of his bill, pay his bills. He's caught nothing all night, nothing. Jesus comes up, comes up to him and, 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 and tells him, Peter, I know you've caught nothing. I know you've been working hard, but I want you to throw out your net one more time. And Peter initially does what? He goes, really? I mean, I, I kind of know what I'm doing. I'm the fisherman here. But at your insistence, Lord, I will, right? And so he then casts out his net, and what happens? What happens? He brings in such a large haul of fish that his net begins to break, and he has to call for help. In that moment, Peter realizes that he's in, he's in the presence of the divine. In that moment, he, he understands himself as he sees him in relation to his creator, all he can think to say are these words. He says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. That's how Peter responds. See, Peter in that moment feels unworthy, not just of the kindness that Jesus is showing in letting him catch all this fish. He feels unworthy to simply be in Jesus' presence. Have you ever felt that? I have. Maybe you can recall vividly feeling that way. And let me tell you this, that's not in and of itself a bad thing. But here's where that can get us in trouble. If we are not careful, if we don't temper those feelings, that enemy that is prowling around like a lion will use those feelings against you. He will take those proper feelings of unworthiness that we have and use that against us to keep us from taking advantage of the blessings that God graciously gives us. Grace itself is a great example of this. Consider this. The, the fact that you and I are here this morning, living, breathing, is a function of God's grace, is it not? I mean, we don't deserve this. We're not worthy of this. And yet God gives it to us because he has a purpose for our lives. But if we allow ourselves to remain in those feelings of unworthiness, I don't, I don't deserve to be here, Satan can use that against you to keep you there, to keep you from fulfilling God's purpose for your life. He uses that one against me often, and maybe you can relate. But another one that he uses against me is this. If that first approach doesn't work, if that first tactic doesn't work, here's another one, and this one's a little more pointed this one goes something like this. The enemy will, will point out to me all of the ways that I, that I come up short of the ideals I say are important to me, of the ideals I say I value. He'll point out to all those things and make me feel like I am a hypocrite. Now, that word gets thrown around a lot, especially if you watch the news, okay? Listen, pro tip, don't watch the news, okay? Just, just, just don't do it. Mostly negative, okay? And, and people will just lob this grenade at each other. Oh, you're a hypocrite. No, you're a hypocrite. Strictly speaking, a hypocrite, the word hypocrite means this. It comes from the Greek. It means an actor, someone who puts on a face, someone who pretends to be something that they're not. 
So in this context, a hypocritical Christian is someone who just talks the talk, if you will, but doesn't practice what they preach. And so Satan, he's very helpful in this way, will point out all of the different ways in which you come up short of the things you say are important to you, of the standard you purport to live by. So he'll remind you, again, very, very helpful. He'll remind you of the times that you've lied. He'll remind you of times that you've been selfish, arrogant, greedy, lustful, whatever it is. He'll point to those things and create a little reel for you and say, you're an imposter, you're a hypocrite, you're a fraud. And you might even look at that reel yourself and you go, you know, he's, maybe he has a point. Do you see the danger? See, if we're not careful, if we don't counter those feelings of maybe guilt that comes with that hypocrisy, if we don't counter that with the truth of God's word, the enemy can use that against you to keep you out of the game. Okay, the tactics are different, but his objective is still the same. He wants you out of the game. And he wants to keep you out of the game. Maybe you've heard these things and you're thinking to yourself, well, Princeton, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but what you've shared hasn't really been my experience. May well be. So I want you to consider for a moment this morning, in your bulletin, there's, there's some space for you to write this down. Consider... What tactics has the enemy used against you? Do you know what he uses against you? Do you understand how he comes at you? Do you understand those tactics? Do you, and, and have they worked in the past? If they have, why did they work? What chink in your armor did he exploit? Do you know that? If you don't, you better get in the game. Get your head in the game, as they say. Understand the tactics the enemy uses against you. The ways he tries to keep you out of the game, the ways he tries to keep you from fulfilling your God-given purpose. Know what those are. Here's why he goes through all of this trouble, okay? Here's why he goes through all of this trouble of customizing and personalizing these tactics to have their full effect in our lives. It's because you and I, if you belong to Christ, you and I are bearers of God's light, which is the most potent weapon that we can wield against his kingdom of darkness. That's it right there. And he wants to keep you from doing that. See, the light of God that you bear, I, I believe, fulfills two purposes. And if, and if the enemy can keep you from doing either, he's one. Okay? So, so these are these two purposes of the light that you and I are, are, are bearing in our lives. The first is this. Uh, there are two scriptures I want to call to your mind to illustrate this, but the, the first is this, that, that the light you bear exists to shine the face of God, to show the world the face of God. In other words, to glorify God. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it reads this way. It says, you and I, we are God's masterpiece created in the Messiah Jesus to perform good actions that God prepared long ago to be our way of life. See, from the moment you came up out of the water of baptism, you're a new creation. God has given you new life with a purpose. And that purpose is to do good actions that he has prepared 
long ago for you to do, for you to walk in. I love the way this version puts it, that it would be our way of life. But that's not all. Matthew 5 illustrates this a little further, takes this one step further, says, Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others, before people in such a way that they will see your good actions and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. So these good actions that God has prepared for us to do, they're not about us. They're about shining a light on God. They're about us pointing others to God. It's about bringing glory to our maker. And Satan wants to have none of that. The enemy does not want any of that. He wants to keep you from glorifying God. The second is this. And (laughs) what makes this effort to sideline us so harmful, so much more harmful, is that not only is he keeping you from glorifying God, he's keeping others from seeing the light of Jesus. He's keeping people who are in darkness, in darkness longer. He doesn't want them to leave. They belong to his kingdom of darkness, and he wants to keep them there. So if he can take you out of the game, that's one less person he's got to contend with. Can you think of people in your life that are wandering in darkness? People that are... Maybe it's a darkness of selfishness. You know people like that? That's all they know? They wander in that world. They're consumed by that world eventually. Some who wander in the darkness, if you will, of of rage. Those who wander in the darkness of addiction. Those who wander in the darkness of malice or foolishness. Can you bring the light of God to them? You can, but Satan wants none of it. He won't have any of it. I love Psalm 119, verse, verse 105, that, that, that illustrates the Word of God as a light. It says that the Word of God is like a lamp to our feet. It illuminates our path. In this dark world, when things are, can be so obscure, unclear, it shows us the way to go. It guides us. Can you think of people in your life that could use that guidance? But perhaps the passage of Scripture that I love the most in terms of, in terms of light and what it does for us, it comes from 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 that says, man, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another as our sins are being cleansed by Jesus. Isn't that amazing? See, truly reconciled relationships require the light. Can you think of people in your life that could use some reconciliation of relationships? Friendships, broken marriages, broken parent, parent-child relationships, broken. Can you think of people that could, that could use the light of God? Is there something you can do about that? There is. But Satan wants none of it. He wants to keep you from glorifying God. He wants to keep you from taking his light to others so that others might be blessed by it. That is why he works so hard, uses all of these tactics to come at you, to, keep, to take you out of the game and to keep you out of the game. We can't allow it. But are we just sitting ducks in all of this? 
you look at the panorama of the situation, is there anything that we can do in response? And I believe there is. That's the message of this morning, is that the resurrection lets you and me get back in the game. Not only that, the resurrection lets you and me stay in the game. That is the power of the resurrection. See, the message of the resurrection tells us this. The resurrection tells us death won't have the final say. Death is what? Defeated. Sin is what? Has been dethroned. It'll no longer be your master. Decay will give way to new birth. That's what the resurrection tells us. That is the message of the resurrection. So when, when I, for example, am faced with these feelings of unworthiness or, or, or guilt or whatever it is because I'm a hypocrite, the resurrection reminds me that it is not so. The resurrection reminds me of the truth of God's word that helps me counter these lies that the enemy brings at me to take me out. Truth like, like this one from Psalm 103, verse 12, that says, God has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. In this room, I guess that would be east that way, right? That way. East and west, okay? God is that far. He has separated us from our sins. What can the enemy say to that? Nothing. Or what about this one from Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 that says, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. None. You are not judged guilty. How about that? Can the enemy say anything in response to that? No. Or what about this one from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 that was read to us this morning? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has gone away. The old princeton is gone. Behold, the new has come. See, the enemy wants to sideline us, but the resurrection empowers us. And whatever would obstruct or obscure the light of God from shining through your life to glorify God and to bless others gets steamrolled by the resurrection. Nothing stands in its way. That's the power of the resurrection. Your sins, paid for. Your weaknesses and failures, accounted for. Your hypocrisy, taken care of. Anything else? The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. Guess what? Our Savior Jesus is the roaring lion. He is the roaring lion, the great lion of Judah, who has conquered death. He is the king of the kingdom of light, and to him you and I belong. That is the power of the resurrection, and we cannot allow anyone or anything keep us from shining the light of God. From taking, we can't allow anyone to take us out of the game to keep us from fulfilling God's purpose for our lives, to, to glorify Him and to bless others. Man, there's a world plunged in darkness. Like I said earlier, if you're a news junkie like I am, okay, you're not doing yourself any favors, okay? Stay away from the news. But, but you know the darkness that surrounds us. Are there people in this world that could, that could use, that need the light of God? Yeah. But forget the world. What about your life? Are there people in your life that need the light of God? And is there something that you can do about that? Are you going to get over whatever and overcome whatever tactics the enemy uses to keep you out of the game? Are you going to overcome that 
and adamantly, stubbornly fulfill the purpose that God has for your life? Or are you going to sit on the sidelines? Are you going to sit on the sidelines, be taken out of the game, and not contribute? There is a world plunged in darkness that needs the light of God, and we come bearing that light. Don't let anyone or anything stop you or keep you from doing that. If you're not a Christian here this morning, listen. Vic mentioned that this morning. We believe in a physical resurrection of Jesus. And it's that resurrection that makes our new life possible. But if you're not a Christian, you continue to live in darkness. Man, we don't want you to spend another minute in darkness. We want you to come to the light, experience the joy, the healing, the peace, the liberation, the freedom that comes from being in the light. Man, we, want, we invite you to come, wash away your sins in baptism, receive the Holy Spirit of God, and be joined to His kingdom of light that vanquishes darkness as we stand and sing.